Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Rose City Politics. It is Wednesday, November the 2nd. Our regular panel tonight includes myself, John Lidke, and Doug Sartori. Doug, how you doing this week? Uh, doing great. Great to have you here. We're joined with uh, a special guest tonight, Ward 9's recently re-elected councillor and, of course, former Rose City Politics uh, you know, celebrity, Karen McKenzie. It's uh, it's wonderful to be able to have the opportunity to come home. I say that every time, and uh, just really happy to be here with the two of you here this evening. Thank and, and our listeners. And the listeners. That's, it's about the three of us right now, let's be honest. We are broadcasting live from the uh, patio at Maiden Lane Wine and Spirits, so forgive the music in the background, forgive the cars that drive by, and inevitably... For, forgive everything else that will be happening <laughs> in our fun downtown core. We love broadcasting live, though. We also love being in BizX Magazine and online at bizxmagazine.com, as well as on all of your favorite social media and podcasting apps. Rose City Politics broadcasts live on tape, thanks to the kind support of Leuna 625 Building Better Communities. I don't think it will surprise anybody tonight that, you know, with Kieran on the show with us right now. We're going to be doing a, you know, sort of recap of how the campaign went for uh, Councillor McKenzie, and we're going to try to get into some of that nitty-gritty as well as figure out what his priorities are going to be for the next term on council, which begins on the 15th. Am I correct? That is the swearing-in date. Um, it begins, it continues. For you, it continues. You're still doing it. Yeah, well, you're lame duck right now. So the, the legislative work is what it is, John. But, you know, phone calls, emails, you name it, all of that stuff. And, um, you know, the, the discussions that have been ongoing with administration around a variety of different issues and stakeholders, all of that stuff. This is the wonderful part about reelected gets to continue. And uh, that's that's really what I'm very, very excited about. I know we're going to dig into that, uh, you know, in the next you know hour or so. So um, so I'll just leave it there. But, yeah, it's. Um, uh, I'll just say this uh, as my formal disclaimer. I want to thank the electors in Ward Nine um, for uh, the confidence that they've shown in me in this now second election. Uh, the campaign experience was was frankly incredible, and uh, uh, I know we have a lot of work to do. And I'm super ready and excited to dig in. Uh, let's talk about the campaign to start. Um there's a few things that came out of this campaign and I, I think it's really interesting to get your perspective Kieran because over the last three elections you've had every experience you uh, you lost a heartbreaker in 2014 you took out an incumbent in 2018 as a challenger and then you successfully defended your seat in 2022 so so you've kind of run the gamut I think too you're in one of the very few counselors uh, who's in the 50% club uh, who has achieved more than 50% of the vote. So um, I want to ask specifically about the 2022 campaign. How do you approach that as a campaign for re-election versus the previous two campaigns where you were vying to take a seat from someone else? That's a good question. Okay, so let's just get the data clear. Uh, I know you're a data guy, Doug. Uh, 64% of the vote in 2018 and net 72% of the vote. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, and, and, and I'll say this, I'm extremely proud of that. And they always say there's an, ex there's an expression. The second election is the hardest. And believe me, going into the campaign, I felt that, you know, you don't know, you don't know until you test it on the doors. There's one thing, you know, there's the people that are interacting with you, choosing to deliberately act, uh, interact with you over the course of the mandate, emails, phone calls, whatever it might be. And, um, you know, to some extent, I mean, that's, that's great information and great opportunities to interact with the people that you represent, but it's not the aggregate data that you get when you go door to door and you do it one door at a time. And so you don't know. And, and if you're thinking about, okay, the people that are interacting with me are typically calling because something's not perfect something's not right something needs to be fixed a problem needs to be addressed so you know i was not concerned but not 100 percent clear about what that looked like across the entire ward in terms of like the assessment of my performance over the last four years i know what i'd done and i felt good about the work that i did the things that i can control 
But uh, how do other people feel about it? I, I, I'm not going to say I had no clue, but um, I, I wasn't sure. So, you know, the campaign and, and, and the result um, was incredibly, um, like, just, it was just, it was really a wonderful experience, to be honest. To be able to go talk to people, for the most part, who were reasonably, and maybe in some instances more than reasonably satisfied with, with, with my performance and the work that we'd done uh, in the ward over the last four years, but then having the opportunity to go and talk to people who were um, uh, not upset, typically, but had some concerns, had some ideas, and what ended up happening for me over the last number of months while the campaign unfolded was, like, like literally, and I've used this term over and over, thousands, a few thousand conversations about how we can do better that really has been incredibly gratifying and you know again I said I'm looking forward to the next four years I, I really am and I think I've got a, a really good understanding really good understanding you know three elections where I've knocked on every door um, I get this ward I get it really really well they know me now I think reasonably well and um, I'm, I'm excited about what the next four years could look like so I want to put a pin in those conversations at the door because I really want to hear about that. But just sticking with the campaign, um, 2014, 2018, and 2022 have seen a dramatic change in the media landscape in Windsor. Um, I think back to the 2014 election, we had uh, probably the centerpiece of media coverage was the um, uh, Don MacArthur and Dylan Christie's coverage uh, for the Windsor Star, which was incredible. We haven't seen anything like that since. And that was kind of uh, part of the focus of my column for BizX this month, was talking about how the change in the landscape media-wise has impacted the conversations that we have politically and the and what what Joe on Askin Avenue, I don't know what, uh, you don't have Askin Avenue in your ward. Yeah, so... Uh, and Ward 2. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ward 1 and Ward 2. Yeah, so uh, what, what uh, I don't know what the Askin Avenue of Ward 9 is, but what does... Uh, what does uh, Jane on Howard Avenue, um, what is their level of comprehension, understanding uh, compared to 2014 in the 2022 election? You know, one of the things that served me very well in 2014, um, and this is a, uh, you know, some, uh, this is a, a little campaign tidbit for anyone who wants to seek public office. Because um, in 2014, I, I I frankly, I, I came out of nowhere and, you know, came really close to knocking off, um, you know, somebody who'd been in public life for 40 years, well-respected. And the reason that I was able to, to, to sort of make that headway is I, I, I quickly realized that what people really care about is literally what's outside their front door. And that, that media landscape that you talk about, and, and it's important, and it is important for high-level public discussions to be happening across the city and that implicate the wards to whatever extent that they do. But at the end of the day, from one door to the next, what matters is the street, their park, what's happening in the neighborhood, traffic, uh, all of the things that just affect their daily lives. Understanding that, trying to figure out the different ways that where municipal services are either meeting expectations, not meeting expectations, and and working towards a pathway to improving that, that's your pathway to victory. That's your pathway to establishing those relationships and the trust that you need to establish with the people that you want to represent at the municipal level in order to become successful. You show up at the door and talk, you know, start talking about, I'll just use an example, and it's a real important issue uh, and one that's sort of been resolved, um, you know, I think to, to a large extent. But the Auditor General. You knock on a door and lead with the AG. I promise you, 9 out of 10 doors, you're going nowhere with that. Is it an important issue? Of course it's important. But you, you knock on a door and ask somebody or talk to somebody about, you know, we think we can do a little bit better in your park. What can we do to, to improve that experience for you? You're going to get a good conversation. You're going to get a really good level of interaction with people, and uh, you know that's the discussion I've been having now for three consecutive elections. And we, and the thing is, and 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 you know, I'm proud of the work that I did over the last four years to to, to take those conversations 
And actually, we haven't gotten all the way there on a lot of the things, but there's been market progress on a lot of those different things because I made them a priority because I knew that that's what people, that, that was the expectation because that was the conversation that we had on those doorsteps for three elections now. And I'd go back to the doors and I, I you know, to so many folks in the last election, um, it was like, oh, this is a deja vu moment. I remember four years ago standing on your porch and we had this conversation about the thing in Leafield Park. And look, the, the, the new playground is there today. And we did that together. And people see that. They see it. They And I think we had a lot of positivity in this campaign in an era where negative politics is like where things are. In Ward 9, the conversation was entirely different. We need to do better in a lot of different ways, but things are progressing uh, in um, a, a, in a way that's consistent with what I think people want to see, and that's the result of really engaging the work over three elections. Okay, so this is a great transition to the to um, what the, the mood of the ward is and what what you heard on the ground. So I get that people have concerns about their neighborhood, concerns about the park across the street, concerns about you know this, that, and the other that's connected to their daily lives. Um, and that matters, and I agree with you that that is, that is quite rightly the priority for most residents. But I want to ask you about the big issues. What did you hear at the door about the big issues? I'm particularly interested in two. The hospital file, uh, because a lot was made of that in the campaign. I think too much was made of that in the campaign compared to what the um, everyday concerns of people in the city are. And tax rates. I'm really interested in hearing what kind of conversations you had at the door about tax rates and what your sense is of the mood on the ground in Ward 9 around those two issues. Okay, and that's a really good question. I'm going to introduce one other thing because it's, it, 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 it connects, it connects the, that neighborhood issue to the larger civic issues. The story in Ward 9, I've been talking about it since the beginning, is the term I use is sustainable urban development investment but uh, uh development and then civic investment that's keeping pace with growth and so one one of the things that tied that i was able to tie things back to larger civic issues and it does relate to budget was the idea that we are seeing an incredible amount of development in ward 9. ward 7 and ward 9 are the two hot spots for development in the city of windsor right now ward 7 is pretty much full Ward 9 for the next 20 to 25 years will be the area, what, what currently is Ward 9. I think eventually there will be a Ward 11, which will be the Sandwich Southlands. Um, but what is currently Ward 9 is the area, the part of the city that is going to see the most, the most amount of investment and development over the next 20 to 25 years, including the mega hospital. So what does that mean from an infrastructure standpoint what have, we've already seen uh, we've already fallen behind on a lot of the development from an infrastructure standpoint and, and a support standpoint How's it going, Mark? Um, yeah. but uh, we uh, um, so the the conversation was about doing a better job at keeping pace with that growth with the investments we need to make and making sure that as those developments continue including the mega hospital, including the EV battery plant, which also is going to be in Ward 9, which if you look at the current um, lay of the land, the geographic, the, just the traffic patterns, the freight traffic from the EV plant is going to land on Walker Road. A ton of it is. Mm. So the discussions that we are, sorry, go ahead, John. Do you think that Stellantis or uh, LG weigh in on the Ward 9 race? Do you know if they had a preference <laughs> in a candidate? I'll just say this: I have a very good relationship with the uh, with the with the folks uh, from uh, uh, from Stellantis. So, as you should. yep, of course. And uh, you know, I, I, there's a uh, there's a number I can call when there's issues that need to be addressed. And um, and I also I view them as partners, by the way, in um, in in my advocacy for the ward to see the investments that need to happen in order to support their investment. Um, so, and they understand that. Um, but having said that, so the issues around the hospital, and I connect the hospital and the EV plant together because from a, 
an investment standpoint and a development standpoint, it's kind of the same issue for me, at least and from uh, from the people who, and that's the frame that I put around that issue for the people who live in Ward 9. We're not ready. We are not ready. And, and I use that line deliberately because there's a bullshit hashtag out there about where we are ready for the investment. And look, I'm not opposed to the hospital. I'm not. I want to see improved healthcare services in our region, just like everybody else. And I recognize that the uh, the decision around location has been has been made. But, and this is a real serious but, from an infrastructure standpoint, there is no plan to support the hospital in the location that is currently chosen. From an infrastructure standpoint, the investments are not on paper to support the EV plant in the way that it needs to be supported where it's going to be located. So I want to just interrupt you and pick up on that. And this might be an uncomfortable question that you don't want to answer. But um, to what extent do you think that uh, those issues about um, infrastructure cost and the cost of servicing um, the, the new mega hospital and what that will do to city budgets, to what extent do you think that that was um, potentially deliberately pushed to a third term? Uh, for Mayor Dilkins when he would not be seeking re-election, presumably after it. Look, I, I, the plan isn't. The plan has not been developed, and there are people who are in positions to be able to push the development of the plan. So I'm going to leave it there. I don't know why or what other people what what is what is motivating what other people might do. Good my answer. my job is to advocate for the things that I know need to be advocated for. Where's the money for County Road 42? Full stop. Where's the money to extend Lausanne Parkway to the 401? Full stop. What does that look like? There's a servicing plan that's going on for Sandwich South. And also, also, and I acknowledge this, and I I know that this is going to be part of the discussion when the issues around infrastructure supports for the hospital and the EV plant are raised. Well, we're not, you know, we're not just going to build out the road to support the hospital. It's part of a larger framework of development around the Sandwich South. I get it. I sit on the Sandwich South Master Servicing Study Group. I forget what it's actually called, but bottom line is I get regular reports. I sit on a board where we get reports from the engineering team that are looking at the servicing requirements for sandwich the sandwich southlands that includes the servicing requirements for the hospital but also all of the other developments that are going to happen in that entire area this is actually one of the most critical things from a development standpoint that's happening in the city of windsor right now Um, we cannot afford to make mistakes in how we develop the sandwich southlands including the mega hospital. The infrastructure needs to be appropriate to support it. There's there's already, uh, and I, I brought this forward in the last council session, um, to uh, to ensure that as the residential development goes forward, that Sandwich South is developed from a net zero emission standpoint. That's going to be an important benchmark and a policy for us to continue to follow. We have, and then the biggest, the biggest challenge, you know, I know people aren't super happy about the fact that we're developing a lot of farmland and we will be developing a lot of farmland so there's a food security issue there at at a higher level but more importantly there's you're going to be paving over a lot of ground that is absorbing water so from a flood mitigation standpoint and a stormwater management perspective it is absolutely essential (coughs) that we do not make mistakes with this Um, so for me you know, when I when I think about the mega hospital, I think about what is all of that going to look like, including the mega hospital, traffic management, water, stormwater management, uh, and all of the utility and servicing. Look, we're talking about millions and million, like like hundreds of millions of dollars. And then on top of it, and I know we're gonna we're gonna talk in, in a little bit about um, some of the initiatives that are coming forward from the province. I know I don't know I don't think that we're scheduled to talk about um, some of the uh, some of the changes that they're proposing with respect to development in the Planning Act and Conservation Authorities Act and all of those other pieces. Go for it, man! But eliminating development charges as a part so the whole city of Windsor needs to realize now you are going to subsidize 
so if this goes forward the way that it's being proposed, you living in Ward 3, 1, 2, 3, wherever you live, are going to subsidize for developers infrastructure costs to build out Sandwich South because of Doug Ford, if his, if his bill passes the way he wants it to pass. That is outrageous. We do not have the money to build out Sandwich South and eliminate DCs. We just don't. Unless you, uh, and then the idea of holding the line on taxes in that entire context, that's, that's just, it's, it's an absurd concept. So um, that discussion, going back, bringing it back now to that, like that doorstep level, I can promise you, I had hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of conversations about the mega hospital. Whether people were like super supportive, let's get it done, we can't wait, whatever the whatever campaign that they latched onto. Once I started digging into that discussion around the infrastructure, and I asked them about, well, you know, we're not done the work on Walker Road. You realize that there's no plan to do County Road 42. You're not going to be able to get to Costco. You think it's tough now, and it is. It's going to be worse. And we have no plan. It's not in the 10-year capital plan to deal with it. No costing. Whatever side of the issue you were on, that was jarring. Jarring. I could see it. I could see it in their eyes. I could see it in their body language. I could see it. I could hear it in the, in the interaction. So we're definitely concerned in Ward 9. And I'm, I'm prepared. That's, I know that's part of you know, what I was elected on, is to ask those questions, to push that issue. Guess what? There'll be a lot of uncomfortable conversations in that council chamber in the next four years on this specific issue. Opportunity to transition to that discussion. Um, <clears throat> so we can we can maybe turn to talking about the upcoming term of council. There's uh, quite a bit of turnover. Um, it's a it's a new council. There are um, going to be some new voices around the table. Some voices that we're used to hearing uh, in the past will no longer be there. Some because uh, folks have departed and, and some folks were not successful in their bid for re-election. So um, maybe we can start with the 10,000 foot view, Kieran. What do you see uh, um, as the challenge, as the immediate work and, and in terms of getting this council to gel and have conversations together? What do you see coming in the next six months um, and, and how do you view this term developing? It's a big, big question there, Doug. Yes. Um, let me just start by saying um, I want to thank, uh, um, in particular, Councillors uh, Bordelin and Holt for um, their work. Their work on council, not just over the last, uh, the last term, where um, people who follow council probably won't be surprised to know, like, between myself, Chris, and Reno... There probably wouldn't have been a day or two that we go by where we weren't having a really good discussion about different things that we can do to make the city a better place. So I'm going to miss those guys in, in, in that respect. And I also want to thank Councillor Gill for his service to the community as well. Um, so, uh, and those, the, you know, those conversations with Reno and Chris, those aren't going to end just because we're not on council together, but it changes, it changes the opportunities, right? We're just not in the same place physically at the same time. Having said that, um, you know what's in front of us and what what i think is like really important at the at, especially in the early days we've set the table with a lot of um important work that we are committed to through the master plans the community energy plan the active transportation master plan the transit mass master plan the for the housing and homelessness master plan we have so far remained I'm not going to say 100% on track to deliver on what it is that we're trying to deliver through those plans, but we're we're making reasonable progress on all of those fronts. Some of them were ahead of schedule, some of them were slightly behind, but we're there. And my concern, in addition to ridiculous engine noise, 
because that is such an annoying issue by the way like that comes up all the time on doorsteps and you know with the utmost respect to people who are gearheads and whatnot i don't get it i just don't i do not get that so having said that uh uh i'm going to be talking to my colleagues uh about you know we're on we're on a good path right now in a lot of ways there are there's there's some things that could be that could definitely be better but let's keep going on the things that we're doing well. We're chipping away and making progress on uh, on those housing challenges. We have a really extremely challenging problem where I think council has set a good direction with respect to how we're going to address um, uh, that we're making ma- massive investments to improve housing. We have a model at the H4 hub we, uh, that is working to get people housed who are currently unhoused. We have a consensus around a safe injection site. Currently, I wouldn't call it consensus, approval of from council. We'll see where that, where that goes. There's consensus around the idea of the previous council that we need to improve from an active transportation perspective. There's a debate on transit. We have, an, we have a transit master plan. There isn't consensus. This council is going to be, that will be one of the issues that I think will be very interesting to watch over the next four years to see whether or not we actually are committed to more than transit or if we're not. And, uh, you know, I'm concerned. Well, same vein then in this conversation, we're entering a period now where we know that not next year, but the year afterwards, so year two of the term, Dilkins will be getting strong mayor powers and will have the ability to set the budget, to set administration, to override council decisions if it aligns with a provincial priority in one way or another, which, I mean, with this government, you can imagine that could be a pretty loose term. I wonder, do you think that progress is possible on these files in a way that you would hope to see, or is it going to be very, you know, sort of spoon-fed and smaller bits? This is a mayor who, during this campaign referred to the transit master plan key component a new garage to be able to house electric buses to be able to you know get the fleet to a point where we can expand the service went out of his ways to ostracize his own master plan that he voted yes for it was a unanimous pass i do believe correct me if i'm wrong Um, and he called it a garage mahal to make fun of it and dismiss it and to suggest that i suppose windsorites aren't deserving of it he then decided to go and say I stand up for cars. Don't be surprised. I would think that an auto worker would too. Decide to get really divisive there. Do you think you're going to be able to achieve the priorities you're talking about in that environment under this mayor? Will diplomacy be a thing that's possible? Well, you know, diplomacy. Uh, We'll see about diplomacy, right? I think it'll be politics. And um, look, the idea of wherever the province decides to go with their absolutely atrocious legislative agenda like i don't see it like i don't see any good there and this is you know so the the strong mayor agenda i can't think of a worse policy a worse policy that a government could come forward with a provincial government wanting to like overtly implicate itself into like municipal governance um here one second let me stop you can i get a do you still do the risky and radical thing i can't not anymore Okay, well then I'll do another Moscow. We can't now. make them? <laughs> they forgot mm. the recipe? Oh, no, we can. I just don't have the syrup for it anymore. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Fair enough. Um, a little old love from Whitkey there. Oh, yeah, yeah there we go. I one during the campaign. I tried to maintain complete impartiality. Like <laughs> it's a... It's <laughs> I haven't. Is it a good drink? I'm sure it's a good drink. I don't know. I mean, they, they don't make bad drinks here at Maiden Lane, but... Um, I'll just say this. On the... On, 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 it's horrible policy. Set that aside. For any mayor, the mayor of the city of Windsor, the mayor of Oshawa, you name it. Have fun with that. You want to unilaterally veto a decision of the, of council. You know, um, you're going to put yourself on an island and you're handing any political opponent the issue. So even if, even if, you know, if a majority of council is voting to do one thing and you say, me unilaterally, I don't think that's right. That's, I'm going to like, you better, you better be ready for what's coming. And look, 
my hope is if the um, uh, if the government decides, the provincial government decides to do this, that um, you know, I'm, I'm going to challenge the mayor to to categorically state that he will respect the will of council and and decide that um, he's never going to leverage those powers and let him say what he's going to say but uh, if if you do want to use that strong mayoral power that is looks like it's coming from a political perspective I think there's a tremendous amount of risk that's involved with it I I don't want to say I think I think some people will use it and perhaps even, you know, our current mayor, if the, if the, if the quote, quote unquote, right issue presents itself. But regardless of whether that quote unquote right issue does present itself, good luck. You, you better be ready for what's coming. So that's the headline for sure is the veto powers. But um, there's also the, uh, the change in the way that um, committees are populated. Uh, nomination of the chairs of committees, if I understand correctly, and how the budget is presented. So, <clears throat> do you think that? Um, uh, do you think, like, when you say that you would call on Mayor Dilkins to never use those powers, do you mean that uh, you would call on him to still continue to respect the striking committee in terms of of how uh, all of those decisions are made around ABCs? Absolutely. Look, I I think we have. A really good system in place. It's not perfect. It's it's admittedly and and maybe even demonstrably not perfect. But what we have is a system in place that allows for a quote unquote real check and balance to happen within the council framework. And you know, there's a lot of ways that you know there's there's for as many people as think that uh, that think that oh you know councils are intransigent because of like these political divides uh there's others that 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 think that there's too much activism that's happening at the council level as well in the city of windsor in our city specifically in our city do we have a problem with respect to the checks and balances that are there for the mayor and council i think i think we don't i think it's actually what we have in the city of Windsor is almost like this ideal democratic manifestation where you have a mayor who has a lot of a lot of power invested in him in him because it is a him in this instance uh, uh, because of the control over the bureaucracy and the control over the agendas and whatnot and that is a tremendous amount of power but at the end of the day whoever's the mayor currently still has to find six votes uh, or five other votes on a council of 10 people in order for him to be able to get his agenda passed and look I think we can all say and and agree that we're not you know entirely happy with all of the decisions that have been made and brought forward by any council or any mayor um but there's a there's a strong check and balance system in our community, I think, that is reliant on the fact that this, our community and our community has shown an ability to to elect strong-willed, smart counselors who can push back against. Uh, so, are you one of those guys who has custom ringtones for different people? No. Okay. No, I don't. No, that's yes. You're right. So, uh, yeah, and the Superman theme is my ringtone. <laughs> so, but I love that music. It's not okay. I do. So the same reason that the Conan the Barbarian theme is my ringtone. <laughs> it's not that I want to crush my enemies and see them driven before me. It's just that it's such a jam. It's, it's, it is. I forget. I forget that that's what it is. Actually, the music is now. That's actually you know. So don't make your favorite music your ringtone, folks, because you you sort of lose an appreciation for the music. Is uh, anyway. But I, so I guess what I'm saying is we'll see, we'll see how this works out, um, if and when it comes forward, which it looks like it will. You know, I'll just say it this way, and this is free advice to any mayor in Ontario: use this power at your peril. I think it's. I, I don't think 
it's what you think it might be for those who are excited about it coming forward i think it's actually it puts more pressure way more pressure on mayors across ontario because there's not even it's not just the pressure to you know like when you use it or if you use it it's the pressure that could come if you or like you know around if you were going to use it you know, in the middle of, you know, on any issue, someone's going to, someone who's like a strong supporter of yours is going to say, hey, why don't you use your strong mayoral power right. to quash this? And you're going to have to tell those people, no, no, I'm not doing it. And good luck building those arguments. You know, how do you tell that person who's been giving you thousands of dollars, developer X campaign over campaign and council quashed a development proposal that wasn't, didn't make sense for reasons X, Y or Z. And uh, uh, and maybe as the mayor, you might even agree with it. But the pressure's there to like you should have done, you should do this to help me out. Not that that pressure doesn't already kind of exist, but this puts it in a whole di- in a whole different stratosphere. It's not good from a governance perspective. It is so bad. What would you say to people um, who would argue that uh, it doesn't change many of the facts on the ground in Windsor because we already have a de facto strong mayor system? You don't. You actually do not. I can tell you this. And having been part of a council where issues, um, you know, the agenda setting component of the, um, uh, of the mayoral power, I think, is very largely reliant upon the things that um, the mayor may determine within the within the scope of where he can control the agenda. Certain things come forward because they have to come forward. You have no control over it. But certain things come forward and the, 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 the recommendations come forward in a way um, that open up a range of possibilities that are either... Um, that the mayor believes he may or may not be able to politically manage and bringing in the a strong mayoral um, power I think upsets that apple cart I don't know to me if I was the current mayor of the city of Windsor I'd be pretty happy with the system as it is I can get my six votes whenever I need them when I really need them I don't need this I don't need this other, this other power that's just going to put additional pressure on me from some of the people that um, have a lot of influence in the community. Oh, but he's going to use it. Maybe. He's the face of the legislation. He's on the mm-hmm. housing task force board that the strong yeah. mayor power supposedly came out of. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting, um, the idea, and I agree with you, uh, that... Okay, but, you know, but hold on, hold on. But would you, if I was to ask you if our current mayor is um, a pro-intensification person? Because that's, that's, that's what presumably this whole Ford building agenda is about, is like, I want a more, more, home, more better homes. So you're, you're, right. you're hitting on something that's really interesting, I think, um, <clears throat> because I think there's a gap between the um, Mayor Dilkin's voter coalition and his donors. What happens when we get a 13-story apartment building in Southwood Lakes? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I that's... can tell you what the voting record is. <laughs> I know what it is. It's opposed by the current councillor in Ward 1 and the mayor. So, but now you're just going to, you, you, we're just going to, we're going to plow it through? See, I find it interesting. You just do a 26-story development in one of the shitty wards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? You throw another layer of gilding on the streetlights in Southwood Lakes and call it a day. <laughs> I didn't say that. That's Doug Sartori. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be clear. I mean, the, you know, the mayor would obviously have to own the decision 100% rather than being able to divide it amongst equal councillors who voted the same way to get it passed. So I can see that... Um, you know, a lot of people have asked me what my thoughts are about it, and I find it interesting that you disagree with Doug in the sense that we're not operating under these quasi-systems. And I guess, like, the main thing that makes me not too concerned about strong mayor powers in Windsor is like, oh, no, what might it look like in Windsor with strong mayor powers? 
could you end up with, I don't know, a tax insert advertisement in every tax bill because the mayor-directed administration to do that? Could you end up with a CAO who gets Nobody, dismissed illegally? But, but let's, let's just be clear it's, about that. You're not going to direct administration to do that. Well, sorry, you're already, he's already doing it. Um, but if it, it comes to a vote to, of council... I don't think there's six votes on council that's going to say, "Yeah, let's put a picture of the mayor in the tax in the tax bill." I think that would be opposed if it ever came to council. But it does. That's an operational issue that never comes to council. But if it did, then good luck exercising your veto power to put your picture in the thing. Like that's there's there's so many opportunities for but, political but again, suicide. But, but why would it even go to council when the mayor just gets to set you know the elections? officer through choosing the CAO and he chooses a CAO who will just, you know, go and do whatever he wants. So again, you know, like I'm, I'm just looking at But that at has nothing to do with strong mayor powers. That's that's what that's but the that is the that's str- our current system. Is it though? It is. In many respects, the the, the mayor the mayor controls the operational he's he's he in this case, but that role straddles the line between the legislative and the executive branch. So I don't want to get too esoteric, but Yes, they're the head of council, but they're also the person that the C that that the um, the CEO the CAO excuse me reports to. So they control the bureaucracy. That's the that's that's the role as it stands. I thought the CAO sure, reported but, to but, council. But can be, um, but but it seems to me that there are opportunities for council um, that have been missed. To uh, and I respect what you're saying about the role of the mayor and the role in, in, with respect to the bureaucracy, but there I think were missed opportunities for council to put a check on this and what what we saw developing between 2018 and 2022 uh, um, that didn't happen. Um, and that's, and that's I'm fair. I'm thinking particularly of um, you know what John alluded to the decision to dismiss the CAO that apparently happened I, I'm not going to say illegally but I'm going to say with with inappropriate process um, not a unanimous vote as per I, I, as per the public record and, and I, I understand that that it wasn't a unanimous vote but at the end of the day um, if a majority of people around the council table. Are willing to um, are willing to go along with something that seems transparently on its face to me. Again, Doug Sartori's words, not anybody else's, but that seems transparently on its face to me um, to be driven by one singular individual and their agenda. Um, then I don't know what the difference between that and a strong mayor system is. Okay, so that's fair. Um, of course, it's fair. I'm going to come. Host. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back to. A age-old comment. That's why elections matter. The ultimate check on authority in a democratic system is an election. And, like, I get we're in a moment, disengagement and frustration and all of that. But, you know, deciding to opt out and still being angry, that's not a good strategy. It's not. And my hope, my hope, you know, because, you know, Doug, I've looked at your um, your election analysis and I think it's it's really um, uh, it's uh, it's excellent. And it, it, there's there's a lot that many people can take from that in terms of like what it is that's happening in the city and how we need to look at different ways that we can um, bridge a lot of divides because I think, you know, there's, that, there's an age-old um, comment, expression, there's more that unites us than divides us. And despite the fact that there's division, that's, I think the division that, that exists in the city has been artificially fomented. And there's a way forward for us to bring all of these concerns, grievances, and issues together in a better way than we've been governed, frankly, over the last number of years. I just want to pick up on that because I want to um, I want to re- make a point. Uh, uh, I've had a number of private conversations about this. I've seen some people opining in public about what do urban progressives need to do to win over the suburbs. And uh, I wanted to pick up on that because um, just based on what you're talking about, um, I think that... 
I think that that is a complete misunderstanding of this issue and its genesis. When people talk about what do urban progressives need to do to win over the suburbs in order to secure power or secure enough influence to have their agenda implemented, that is um, a complete misunderstanding of the process that's happened. And what, ha- like in my view, what has happened is a, um, a very cynical um, uh, policy of division focused on who you got to have in order to secure power and fuck the rest. Well, when the rest get pissed off and try to figure out how they can, um, how they can uh, try to gain some redress through the political process, it is nothing better than concern trolling to say, well, you guys don't have a majority, so what do you need to do to compromise with the people who fucked you over in the first place? Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted it's to make that point since it's it came up. Point. And it, 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 you're right, because even thinking about it, like what do urban progressives need to do to convince? So you're, you're buying into the dynamic, yes. which actually shouldn't exist. I can promise you right now, people in Southeast Windsor care and need good transit services care and need good infrastructure for active transportation uh care about housing and housing affordability and the availability of housing affordability and then also yes even in some of the areas which are are less economically challenged are concerned about crime but need to be helped to understand that crime isn't about necessarily somebody breaking into your garage it's about those root causes that led them to the point that brought them to that moment where they would risk everything to steal some change out of your car or whatever it might be. It's about housing, mental health, and all of the services that need to be see greater investment in order for those issues to be addressed. There are ways to reach suburban Windsor on progressive issues and to help them to understand that making the investments that need to be made to address those issues help everybody, including them in their day-to-day life. It's there. It is there. But we haven't had somebody citywide yet with the utmost respect because I think the whole campaign, we're in the best campaign that I've seen for mayor in a generation. Full stop. But the numbers speak for themselves. It it didn't it didn't cross that you know I use the term you know there's there's a line you know and that EC row, the EC row is is the line and it didn't reach folks across that line the way that it, it needs to um, is Chris and was the whole campaign right and had like some good. Um, uh, issue framing to reach those people yes but it didn't get there so you know the question for the next four years and then beyond if there's an appetite for a different vision in the community um, will be to help folks in that part of the city understand that there's that, that these issues aren't core downtown urban it's all of us we're seeing it we're seeing it in South Windsor I can promise you that we're feeling it we just don't know quite how to think about what the best way forward is to address them. Do you think that with you know the mega hospital being built, um, with the new investments, with the new Sandwich South lands, that it's going to be a different political climate in four years from now than the one that we're in currently? Um, maybe. That's a good question, right? So what the, the climate the climate is going to be contingent on what happens in the next four years. You know, are, are we going to do better addressing those infrastructure challenges? Are we going to do better addressing some of it? Like, like the, um, uh, you know, I, I, I talked about addiction mental health. That's a real serious issue in South Windsor. It's a very serious issue in South Windsor because it's driving crime rates. People out there care about this issue. And they're, and they're also prepared... They're, they're starting to understand, and again, you, you talk, we talked about some of the conversations that I had. had dozens and dozens and dozens, yeah, maybe hundreds, of conversations about how do we get a handle on that issue, crime issue. And I'm going to give credit to Dan Markowski, who, that was the central issue that he raised in the campaign in Ward 9. 
crime rates in, in southeast Windsor. And he's not wrong to raise those issues. And there are root causes. And those root causes are related to um, the same issues that are driving crime issues in the core. Mental health, addiction, housing, all of those things. But what's happening now is it's push, it's, it's those, um, those challenges are, are just, they're spreading. They're moving further and further out from the core and, uh, and affecting people who live in South Windsor. They're unhappy and they're concerned and they're looking for solutions. The discussion has been about not just, okay, we can't, the discussion that I've been having with people is you're not going to police your way out of this crisis. And those have been fruitful. And tell you that. And again, talking about this, like the, the value of campaigns and whatnot, I've really enjoyed the opportunity to have those, those discussions with people about, and to help, to help broaden people's understanding. You can't just police yourself out of the opioid epidemic. Um, you can try. Well, we have tried. And guess what? We failed. Look, this is this. This, this is a real tough one for me to say, and I'm going to say it. I said it to many people. The strategy of adding law enforcement to downtown to address the opioid epidemic has failed. Period. That's been, that has been a failure. We are making progress by looking at those issues through a social service lens. And we need to continue doing that. We need to add housing capacity. That's one thing, but that's, we are not going to build our way out of it either. It's literally on the service side. It is the services that are going to make the biggest dent. Um, and uh, you know, unfortunate, it was unfortunate listening to the mayor's debate, how that the mayoral debate around those issues, how there was like a clear divide on that. I'm concerned, and uh, you know, prepared to prepared to fight what I already know is working. And hopefully we'll be able to see uh, to see further investments on that front because it's um, we're not trending in the right direction there. So I, I think um, John, uh, between my ties, is giving me uh, furious hand signals that we're getting close to the end of this conversation. And I didn't want to go away from it um, without, without asking you, uh, because I think you have a uniquely interesting perspective on this, um, without asking you about... Um, what has happened uh, this week in um, in Ontario in terms of labor relations between the Ford government um, and uh, and QP workers, um, as well as um, the the I, I want to touch on the um, the apparent efforts by the PCs in Ontario. And, and I think um, largely echoed by their federal cousins, you can hear them using some of the same language, um, to create a wedge between public sector and private sector labor um, uh, unions and the labor movement in general and to split the labor movement, which to me as an outside observer um, would seem to me to be an existential threat uh, to the labor movement as a whole um, if you could successfully drive that wedge. So... Um, I want to. I want to ask you a very broad question about that to give you enough space to share your thoughts as you see fit. But between the spring 2022 election, where we saw um, union leaders um, eagerly, uh, private sector union leaders eagerly running to endorse and support um, the PCs who ended up forming government. And here we are um, in early November, and we're seeing a complete meltdown in labor relations between public sector unions and um, and this government. Um, what do you think of that, man? Yeah. Um, okay. Thanks for this. Um, let me start by saying, you know, don't be a don't be surprised when a snake does what a snake does. Is this, right? is this the scorpion parallel? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, 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 that's what I was searching for. I, I, I came up with snake when I was trying to think of what's that one? It's a scorpion. It's a scorpion, okay? Yeah. So the scorpion's doing what the scorpion does. <laughs> right. That's, that's what's happening right now. So, and I see some of the, um, the private, and people do need to really understand that there is a, um, a divide between public sector and private sector unions within the union politics framework, if you will. Now, there's some um, basic fundamentals 
in the labor movement that apply equally across that that public sector private sector divide the one right at the very top of the list is respect collective bargaining rights so the fact that the current government in ontario would after building a coalition of support that included some private sector unions some some big ones but some and they all happen to be in the building universe and they're deregulating the building sector and it's all you know say all of that um to to lead with in a public sector negotiation with education workers the idea of we're going to start and not it's not the beginning but we're we're early on in this process we're going to go to straight to notwithstanding clause deny collective bargaining rights all of that you've you know whether or not i think that they know um that this was always going to be a temporary relationship and that's that's what it actually demonstrates is you know and for anyone that was sort of you know brought into that uh to that conservative universe from the labor movement i think that today they might not be feeling so good about the decisions that they made during the campaign uh they made they're seeing now what the scorpion does this is exactly what it does and especially this particular group of conservatives who have a strong and virulent strain of anti-labor predisposition to lead with we're going straight to notwithstanding clause at this point you know it's like walking in the door to having a you know maybe the, not the most pleasant conversation and leading with a punch in the face and like that's where we are right now and it, it it's it weirdly seems like the pressure is on the union to say well we're going to take away the strike mandate that is normal bargaining process that's another thing that people need to understand oh the union has a strike mandate every time a union is going into collective bargaining negotiations not every time oftentimes they say they 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 come in with a strike mandate because they want to set that we can go if we have a mandate from our membership that if we make the recommendation we are going to go out that's their leverage that is their basic and literal only leverage the government has all of the other leverage or quote the employer has all of the other leverage so um this idea that oh we're going to legislate them back to work unless they decide to remove the strike mandate is like the conservatives know what they're doing this is like it's a form of union busting they're going to test the metal and we'll see but it, it'll be really interesting politics over the next you know you know few weeks when kids are home and we'll see where the electorate or not the electorate where the public decides to land with respect to whether or not the government's being heavy-handed or if these workers who make less than forty thousand dollars a year and have had zero wage increases for many years consecutively are asking for more than they deserve well it's been what over eight years since they've had a work stoppage of any kind of the uh 50,000 or so education workers um and you know this is a government that when they came in the first time around decided to go nuclear on a few files with you know nurses with uh health workers is it with, nuclear or nuclear you know what <laughs> Let's not do this right now. I am sorry. Trying to just get, you're like the commentators on AM800's texting platform. Which, let me say, uh, AM800 news poll question yesterday was about this very issue. Do you support? Yeah, and uh, 88% of people don't know which way you're supposed to say it. But is it, is it, is it, but is it like new Q? Like, is it like, is the phonics of it like a U in there? Or is it some? Q. 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 Right? I don't think so. Actually, that's that's where the Q's been the whole time. Okay. Um, Okay. So uh, people, uh, you do a great job in AM eight hundred. Thank you. Let's not devolve into this, but I appreciate that. Um, The audience was asked yesterday, "Do you support what Doug Ford's doing?" And uh, forty five hundred people responded, which is a 
actually a good amount for it. Now, listen, it's not a scientific poll by any means, of course. It's, it's the news poll of the week. Yeah, mate, it's the news poll of the <laughs> day. It's daily. No, no, That's the most we important poll. We used to have a segment on the show <laughs> before, before John got a job with Big Radio. We used to have a segment about the news poll question. But anyway, carry on, Okay, but, 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 uh, but even on that, like, is there a more important poll... That happens. So much. Is there more important than the AM800 daily poll or whatever thing? Like, no. That's the most important no. poll. As soon as it comes out, everybody's burning it's, up the phone lines right. to try to game it. <laughs> that's right? right. Right. We want with the first hundred. We want to get. We want to get sixty percent of the first hundred because that'll set the tone for the rest. Guys, got to do an RCP poll. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Get in that. Get in the. Get in the poll game. Wait, we'll just ask the same question. <laughs> <laughs> competing poll. <laughs> oh, yes. I don't see any copyright on that page. We'll just take the same yeah. question. We'll, we'll reverse the order. Change the spelling a little bit. Nuclear. Is that a conflict for you, John, uh, though? Uh, listen, I don't, uh, I don't think the morning news guy is going to be too upset about that, to be honest. Do you guys have an auditor? Oh, ge- sorry, sorry. Do you have a do you have integrity commissioner <laughs> that you could consult? There, there, there is a Bell Ethics Commissioner, of course. Um, Let's get her on the phone. <laughs> Anyways, all that to say, 82% of people uh, were very obviously opposed to uh, what Doug Ford has done. And I thought that number to be interesting. But, you know, it's Windsor, so it's not surprising being a union town. But I took a lot of phone calls from people, and one woman called in and said, Look, I voted for this government. I supported them. I wanted to see a change. I didn't like what the other options were. I regret my vote entirely. And I said, Okay, it's early into it right now. We've still got four years left, basically. I said, Are you. Where did she live? West? In Windsor, Essex. I don't know. It could have been Toronto. We got listenership all throughout the province. Know. She didn't identify. No, and I don't ask because that's not pertinent. Is the conversation at hand. He could take the boy out of the partisan politics. I just want to know, I, like boy, exactly. Right? You know, but like, where are we talking about here? This person was was furious. As <laughs> were an ID. As <laughs> were the texting platform. What's wrong with you? <laughs> You're going to support. You have to ask that question. <laughs> Anyways, all that to say, people were very upset by it. I wanted to go back to my initial, though, which was that, you know, this government, when they first came in, they cut the size of Toronto Council in half. They went after healthcare workers, and then they sort of, you know, brought the tone down and just, we're government now. And it seems like that's probably what's happening here again. But I question if this time it's about something, you know, bigger than just the politics of it. To me, Doug Ford is just running for mayor of Toronto. Like that's what he wants with you know the strong mayor's powers. Well, that's me, what he's doing in terms there. of like, like how much of this this Ford agenda is really like a remnant of like Councillor Ford's frustrations. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100 percent. That's you know, and, and then also his like um, anger uh, around like you know the remnants of the anger from his brother's yeah. administration as the mayor. Getting kneecapped by I don't know, administration, like, by a council, being held in. And, I mean, you hear what he says. Strong like, mayor. What's that about? Like, where, where, in what universe is that actually a good idea to consolidate power Chicago. in a democratic situation into one human being and to the exemption of all of the other people who are democratically elected? I don't get, from, uh, from a political science standpoint, I don't understand it. Anyway, this is devolving into an after show. Yeah, I love it. But we did just hit the one hour and three minute mark. So that's not too terrible. We did pretty good with the show. Only a few cocktails in. We're not going to tell anybody how many. (laughs) Um, Any last thoughts, Counselor, about where, you know, you're hoping things go in the short term. Inauguration coming up. New councillors on council. It's a new term. What are you expecting to see just in the in the in the interim? Do you think a new tone John, is going to develop? I'm I'm optimistic. I'm I'm optimistic about where we're going to go. I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to work with my new colleagues and my existing colleagues. And they don't listen to this show. <laughs> <laughs> they have but look, it's fine. <laughs> they get a summary. No, yeah. it's it's it, it's it's it, it. I get that, but I I, I literally am. I've been reelected. I'm delighted about that. Obviously, I worked my ass off to 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 help to make that happen. The electorate gave me the opportunity to serve, and I'm looking forward to what the next four years could be. Period. Well, we will uh, keep an eye on all of it as it goes. Well, folks, this has been Rose City Politics. Our guest tonight, Ward Nine's 
re-elected city councilor, Kieran McKenzie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Doug Sartori and myself, John Lidke, were your regular panelists tonight. We were joined by a silent audience of one, Jessica Sartori. Thank you for sitting in, Jessica. Thank you. Happy to be here. No applause, though. The show's done. There we go. Jess, thank you for your service. <laughs> As I said, this is Rose City Politics. We're in BizX Magazine on bizxmagazine.com on all of your favorite social media and podcasting apps. And Rose City Politics is able to broadcast live on tape thanks to the kind support of Leuna 625 Building Better Communities. We'll probably be back next week. We might not sure. We might not be, though, because it is the inaugural night. Do we have to get tickets to inauguration? You're invited. <laughs> Damn, yeah. you hear that? Hell yeah. Okay, well, folks, have a great evening. Thanks for tuning in.